You're listening to The Briefing, first broadcast on the 9th of March 2023 on Monocle 24. The Briefing is brought to you in association with Allianz Partners. Hello and welcome to The Briefing, coming to you live from Studio One here at Midori House in London. I'm Tom Edwards. Coming up on today's programme, Russia launches a huge wave of missile strikes on Ukraine overnight. We'll have the latest from Kiev. Then to Israel, where protests over judicial reforms are set to escalate. Plus... We heard the phrase, why haven't I heard of you before? Why didn't I know about Nikari before? And it felt really wonderful for us young entrepreneurs we're at the Stockholm Furniture Fair to hear from a Finnish firm very much on the rise. And finally, it wouldn't be Thursday on the briefing without the global countdown. What have you got for us, Fernando? All right, La. Today we're looking at the top artists from Liverpool, the city that is hosting Eurovision this year. All that and the latest business headlines too. On the way, here on the briefing with me, Tom Edwards. Russia launched another deadly wave of missile strikes across Ukraine as the country slept last night, killing at least nine people and also forcing the Zaporizhia power plant off the grid. It was the most intense wave of missile strikes since mid-February, ending a relatively extended period of comparative calm in the country. Well, joining us for more on this now is Lada Roslicki, founder of Black Trident, a defence and security consulting group in Ukraine and one of our regular chroniclers of the ongoing conflict. Good afternoon to you, Lada. Thanks as ever for taking some time out to speak with us. Bring us up to date with what happened overnight. Well, uh, we had one of the longest uh, countrywide air raids uh, lasting over seven hours. And the entire territory of Ukraine had been hit uh, 81 rockets, uh, six uh, including the hypersonic Kinjal uh, missiles. The critical infrastructure in Kiev has been damaged. Kharkiv, very unfortunately, was hit very hard. And those poor individuals just recently received, uh, got their electricity back. Uh, as far uh, west as the Lviv Oblast, we have uh, seen five individuals killed there. It was a very rough night and the sirens are still on uh, this afternoon because of MiGs flying around. Uh, yeah, extraordinary uh, scenes across the country, as you say. Um, and we've seen a response in terms of this targeting of power infrastructure, and particularly from the United Nations. They've led the warnings, haven't they, about power provision. We've seen the head of the IAEA and mm-hmm. it, well, he used this expression, you know, we, we're constantly rolling the dice, but our luck is going to, to, to run out. I mean, this must be, in particular with regards to the problems with the Zaporizhia plant, at the absolute top of the, the list of concerns. Well, one of the most concerning uh, and dangerous aspects is that uh, the United Nations is scheduled to allow the Russian Federation to take the presidency of the national, uh, the U- UN Security Council for one month. And that gives it even additional power uh, to continue its genocidal war and basically global terrorist program. It uh, also gives it more power 
to negotiate and work with the International Atomic Energy uh, Agency. So it's a very critical situation. We see the permanent representative, uh, the ambassador Kisilitsa, uh, Ukraine to the UN, calling for a boycott. And it's it's really absurd situation where we have the United Nations General Assembly identifying the Russian Federation as an aggressor state, calling for its military to pull out uh, and at the same time empowering Russia in the what is supposed to be the the world's most important uh, security body. It is it is frankly uh, absurd, and one hopes that uh, common sense will prevail. I don't know how likely that that is. Let's just talk a little bit more, though, Lada, next about the ongoing targeting of energy infrastructure within and across Ukraine by uh, Russia. Is what we saw overnight last night, and as you said, it's still rolling on indeed in parts of the country, an escalation, a further sign of, of what's to come, or, or a continuation of a very concerted attempt by Russia to inflict maximum damage on the country? Well, we see that the escalation as it pertains to the use of the uh, Kinjal missiles. Uh, these missiles were used earlier on uh, in the beginning of this uh, massive aggression. They are also capable of carrying a nuclear uh, weapon heads. So the and they're much more difficult to uh, knock down using air defense systems. The level in the number of the Shahid's uh, unmanned. Um, drones has also risen, which means that all of the narratives that we have been hearing that Russia doesn't have enough uh, rockets or it doesn't have enough capability and that Ukraine should relax a little bit and be happy with the type of support that we're receiving militarily from abroad uh, is just showing how false those claims are. Russia must not be underestimated and apart from artillery and, and rockets, they have an enormous resource of men who literally have approximately an estimated four to ten hour uh, lifeline as soon as they're thrown into the front. They're not trained and they're just dumping these men into the, the trenches and they just get killed and killed and killed. It's a Zhukov uh, type of approach that we saw the Russians use in uh, the, during the Second World War. It's horrendous. It's uh, the 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 amount of human sacrifice happening here and and dreadful with children and it, it, i don't even think that the stories that we hear here uh, i would be able to to say on on your radio unfortunately uh, Lada, it's uh, it's extraordinary to hear your your insights into the the ongoing uh, conflict and these these aspects of it that as you say perhaps we don't really comprehend when we're just blinded by the daily flow of numbers and we appreciate you painting that picture for us so so vividly as harrowing as it is let me ask you about this point about national collective resilience then um how would you gauge the country's facility at surviving this sort of onslaught um is ukraine even capable of attempting to make repairs fast enough to address these ongoing assaults particularly on, on infrastructure they have such an immediate impact on people on communities how would you gauge the country's resilience in the face of this onslaught 
Well, I'm very proud and and even surprised with how resilient uh, we are and how quickly uh, the uh, teams working on the critical infrastructure uh, are are able to reset the the systems. Today's massive attack in Kiev uh, on one of the main uh, energy plants is is enormous, and yet a, a large part of the city, including where I am now in the center, I have electricity and I have water. So they're they're brilliant and. We we must not underestimate the incredible impact, the aid that we're receiving and the support that Ukraine is receiving from the Rheinstein uh, group of countries and the Copenhagen uh, group of countries. Copenhagen is the group that focuses mainly on humanitarian uh, support and, and support of critical infrastructure. Lada, thank you, as always, for being with us uh, on the programme, for bringing us the latest instalment of really powerful testimony. That was our friend Lada Rizlicki, founder of Black Trident. Right now, let's cross over to Monocle's Emma Searle. She's standing by with the day's other news headlines. Thanks, Tom. South Korean President Yoon Suk-yul and his wife will visit Japan next week in the first such visit in 12 years. The visit comes after Seoul announced a plan to end a protracted dispute over wartime forced labor that has undercut U.S.-led efforts to present a united front against China and North Korea. Georgia's ruling party has dropped a bill on foreign agents after two nights of violent protests against what opponents said was a Russian-inspired authoritarian shift that would hamper the country's hopes of joining the EU. The Georgian Dream ruling party cited the need to reduce confrontation in society, while also denouncing lies told about the bill by the opposition. And the French Senate has voted to raise the country's retirement age by two years to 64. It comes amid mass protests over plans to overhaul the country's pension system. The deadline to finalise the legislation is Sunday. Those are the day's headlines. Back to you, Tom. Thank you very much indeed, Emma. Now to Israel, where protests over the country's, the government's proposed judicial reforms are heating up. Today's protesters are expected to converge at the country's main airport, aiming to disrupt a trip abroad by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, as well as a visit inbound by the US Defence Secretary. Well, joining us for more on this is Alison Kaplan-Summer, journalist for Haaretz in Tel Aviv and a regular on Monocle 24. Alison, good afternoon to you. Welcome back to the programme. It's certainly a big news day uh, where you are there's there's plenty going on give us your give us your view yes never a dull moment so this was uh declared sort of a day of outrage over the uh judicial reforms that the netanyahu government is trying to uh to push through and it began in what has become almost a routine we've had one or two of these days before in which um the day begins with uh traffic being blocked in major intersections demonstrations uh, across the country in every single community um, and uh, in this case, all eyes were on Ben Gurion Airport, which, as you mentioned, is the place where uh, Prime Minister and his wife um, were scheduled uh, at noon to take off on their state visit to Rome. And uh, they did make it. Uh, uh, they took a helicopter from their residence to the airport instead of trying to uh, to go on the roads. And uh, and they are um, they are taking off for Rome. And as well, um, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin managed to arrive uh, today. Um, it was a visit that was rescheduled because of the protests against the judicial overhaul, but uh, but he landed and he's uh, due to meet at a nearby location, which is not being disclosed with um, uh, with the defense minister, uh, Yoav Gala. 
Uh, yeah, I think we understand that they may have just met uh, somewhere near Ben Gurion. We don't know exactly, as you as you say. What will be on the agenda, Alison? I mean, I guess it's one of these things we've spoken before, haven't we, about the sort of deployment of big picture foreign policy discussions for Netanyahu to obfuscate some of his domestic problems uh, and some, uh, you know, sort of uh, criticism from from overseas about direction of travel for this right, more increasingly right leaning government. Presumably, the foreign policy conversation does help Netanyahu with that in that regard well as cynical as i'd like to be about it there are actual <laughs> national security challenges that need to be addressed uh the level of um uh progress that iran has made in uh, moving towards uh, nuclear weaponization has crossed what was considered in the past to be a red line and there needs to be a real strategy plan between israel and the united states as to uh what is uh, permissible and what is not permissible in terms of uh measures against Iran. So that's an ongoing conversation that uh, that needs to be addressed. And the rise in, uh, in violence in the uh, in the West Bank. Um, there's uh, increased uh, security difficulties. Uh, uh, there have been four, more than 14 Israelis killed in terror incidents um, over the, the past month. There have been um, incursions into the West Bank by the Israeli forces and um, you know, considerable effort not to allow that to escalate. And we've got the month of Ramadan in our sites, which is always a time of of increased violence. So there are things for the defense minister and Israeli officials to uh, to discuss and coordinate, as well as the ongoing coordination between the the two militaries, which is um, which is significant. Alison, thanks for your time. I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. We've had one or two uh, interruptions on the line, so we're going to have to wrap a little early. But thanks for uh, bringing us up to speed. I'm sure we'll follow that story up, as Alison's mentioned there. Plenty happening on the ground. That was our Alison Kaplan-Sommer joining us here on The Briefing here on Monocle 24. You asked, we delivered. Welcome to The Concierge, a travel show from Monocle, brought to you in association with Allianz Partners. This week, we take a stroll through one of the most historic cities on Finland's southern coast. I set out to explore Porvo and its charming 15th century old town. Soon, my tote bag was filled with artisanal chocolates and licorice that Porvo is famous for, as well as some great Finnish design and walk the renovated boardwalk on Miami's South Beach. It's a public space on which life unfolds, as much for those who live in the area as it is for those just passing through. The Concierge, in association with Allianz Partners. Listen via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your audio. You are with The Briefing here on Monocle 24. Next up, let's talk business headlines. Bloomberg's Ewan Potts is standing by. As always, Ewan, good afternoon to you this Thursday. I hope we find you in fine fettle. Where should we start today? Hi, Tom. I want to talk about chips. Now, the US has a big plan to move into producing semiconductors. Traditionally, this has been dominated uh, by China and Taiwan, but now the US wants to bring it uh, onshore, and it is facing uh, something of a problem with that. A nice uh, Bloomberg Businessweek piece uh, about uh, the groundbreaking in a bit of rural Ohio, uh, something that uh, Joe Biden has called uh, his Field of Dreams project. Within a few months, uh, the few dozen workers currently uh, working on this are going to turn into thousands, assembling what uh, the US president uh, has promoted as one of the most advanced semiconductor fabrication plants on the planet. It's being built by Intel at the cost of $20 billion. There's a fair bit of uh, US government subsidy going in there as well. 
Uh, it's actually the first time that Intel has bought, built uh, a chip factory in the US, can you believe it, for 40 years. Uh, and the, the first part of the factory is going to employ uh, 3,000 workers. But in the meantime, they've got to build this thing. And that is causing a problem for Intel because uh, America is short of workers. In fact, it is very short of workers. And it's not just uh, short of the sort of people you need to build a factory, but it is short of nurses, teachers, truck drivers, uh, police officers, you name it. There are labor shortages right across the U.S. economy. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, in January, the latest data we have, there were five million more positions available than people to fill them. So that is a problem if you're trying to build a big chip factory and it is an issue for a lot of businesses right up and down uh, the US. But I guess in many ways it is, uh, it's a nice problem to have. Yeah, so amazing numbers. I mean, that five million is amazing. Um, I, I cannot believe it's 40 years since Intel last built a, a major new facility. That's absolutely extraordinary, isn't it? But I guess uh, it is demonstrative of the, the shift in production to, uh, to, to, other, to other markets. Um, let me ask you briefly, Ewan, about um, commercial property. It's something we've touched upon from time to time. We often look at it through the prism, of course, of office occupancy rates and so forth. But it's still, it's tough times, isn't it, if you're a big owner in the commercial property space? Yeah, very much so. Take uh, PIMCO, one of the world's biggest investment companies. Uh, it has uh, it, it manages uh, $1.7 trillion in assets, and it's defaulted uh, on uh, some mortgage bonds. Uh, Columbia Property Trust defaulted on $1.5 billion uh, of mortgages on seven of its big trophy buildings. These offices, of course, uh, j- since the pandemic, are just not as full as they were, and particularly some of the older office space uh, is not as popular with uh, tenants uh, as it was, and it's really difficult to fill uh, these buildings. Of course, anybody who remembers the financial crisis will remember the uh, scorn heaped on homeowners uh, who stopped paying their mortgages because they uh, they couldn't afford the payments. So it's some, somehow rather ironic that some of Wall Street's biggest companies are now uh, threatening similar behaviour. The issue is that commercial uh, mortgage-backed securities must uh, technically default on their loans before they can renegotiate terms. So this is a kind of a, a way out of their debt. Uh, and uh, unlike uh, some other debt, borrowers can can walk away and creditors uh, can't go uh, go after their, uh, their other assets. So this is a way for some of the uh, big investment companies basically to ditch these offices that they don't want. But it is a growing problem uh, in this in this sector. Yeah, really interesting stuff. I'm sure we'll uh, pick up on that in the weeks ahead. Ewan, thanks as ever for making sense of that for us. That was our good friend Ewan Potts from Bloomberg joining us here on the programme. Just ticking towards 18 minutes past midday here in London. Got something... Special for you now, a little snippet from a brand new programme here on Monocle 24, launched just yesterday. The Concierge is our specialist travel show, promising to go the extra mile with tips, tricks and recommendations from all around the world. On that note, um, let's hear from Monocle's design editor, Mr Nick Manise, who was at Stockholm Furniture Fair recently to find out about the importance of it and the link between design and hospitality spaces. Nick, amongst other things, spoke to Johan Avorio, CEO of the Finnish furniture firm Nikkari. This is already like our 10th year here. I still remember very well the first time we came here. This is a special place in our hearts because it's the first foreign fair where we ever participated and it was really nerve-wracking to set up the stand and wait for the customers to come. The brilliant thing about this fair is that all the visitors are professionals. They know the trade, they have contract projects where they're working on. No one knew about us in 2012. Instead of those professionals saying that, okay, I don't know, I'm not interested, I'm going, by. 
we heard the phrase, why haven't I heard of you before? Why didn't I know about Nikari before? And it felt really wonderful for us young entrepreneurs. We've been participating at the Stockholm Venture Fair ever since. It has a nice vibe and people are friendly. They know a lot, so you get to talk about real things. And you meet people from all over the world. We also call this sort of like our domestic fair because a lot of Finnish companies, Finnish visitors also. And we wish to continue this way. The questions are spot on. They are about the practical issues like... Will it be durable enough for that? And I'd say that after the first feedback, ever since that, we've been developing everything we do to reach the contract levels. Our joinery, our dimensions, everything is durable enough for a contract use. I think for us, it's like it starts already in the very beginning of the design process because we aim to have everything durable enough for contract purposes. So they are definitely fine for homes, but they need to be durable and That means that we need to think about the dimensions and the joinery details. The joints can't be too small. You need to take care of the surface treatment, which way to treat the product in order to have it last in a hospital, for example. If you use very heavy disinfectant to keep the surface clean. So definitely they are the things that we consider every day within our design process. We are following our own path. We are always trying to suggest the best solution for the project in hand. Our team is really, really long-term professionals themselves. So I'd say that our design people really can give great answers to the customers who are looking for something like should be durable in a very, very particular environment. So I'd say their looks will be Nikari anyway, but then we hope that they will fit into various, very high-end and different environments. It's nicer to have a lot of different options. Not everything should look the same. There are some certain styles suitable for other places and then maybe softer forms to other places. So I hope that there will be something for everyone. And that naturally the wood gives this kind of warmth into the surface and into the atmosphere. I hope that the customers like what we are offering. Johanna Voria, CEO of Finnish furniture firm Nikkari there uh, talking to Monocle in Stockholm. That's just a little taste of our brand new travel themed program, The Concierge. You can head to monocle.com forward slash radio to hear the full episode or subscribe, follow and enjoy the show wherever you get your podcasts. Right now you're listening to The Briefing here on Monocle 24 and it's Thursday, which means it's global countdown time and there's something special. It's always special. But we're changing things up a little this week. Here to explain more, in electric blue, people, it's Fernando Gustavo And we're talking about travel here, right, Tom? So in about two months' time, I'll be heading to Liverpool, which is hosting the Eurovision Song Contest tropical. this year. Very tropical paradise there. Uh, actually, I've been to uh, Liverpool just for half a day, but I'm very curious. I know the city has an incredible music history, so I've decided uh, to look at the top five let's say, artists and songs from Liverpool. I mean, there's been, there's been so much to choose. So, by the way, this is just from my head, by the way. It's not like an official chart, I, I have I was to gonna say. say. I was going to say, I was going to head off any complaints or correspondence directed to <laughs> yes. Fernando. This is very much a personal take. This is today's. Tomorrow it could be different. There's one or two I think we're pretty sure would always be on there. You can probably imagine where we're going to wind up. 
But this is what hits you on a gut level today. Uh, where do we start? Well, we're going to start on a very good note. Uh, it's a band that being formed in Liverpool back in 1989. And I know they had bigger hits than the one we were playing, but I love this cover they did. This is uh, The Lightning Seeds with You Showed Me. Fernando, I don't want to give the game away when it comes to my own vintage, but that strikes a few heavy nostalgia chords for the mid to late-ish 90s. Perhaps 96, but were you doing 96, Oh, Tom? best not to talk about that on the record. <laughs> and, and this song, I have to say, is a cover from a classic track by the Turtles, but I think mm. it's very hard to, get, to have a cover track that perhaps is almost as good as the original. Oh, you are being a controversialist today, Fernando. Yes. And, you know, I, I, did, I decided not to choose Three Lions. Of course, it was a number one hit in the UK by the Lightning Seeds and it keeps coming back to it the charts. It was a collab. It was a collab, That wasn't exactly. all Liverpool. That was a, exactly. that was a, a, whole, a whole national effort. Um, what's a number four? Well, I ask you, I kind of know this one. And this is an interesting track because obviously it's like super nostalgic 80s synth fest. And it, again, it's had these like re mini renaissances over the years past, including in a film that I think you and I both very much enjoy. Tell our, tell our audience what I'm talking about. Exactly. So, of course, uh, Dead or Alive, I mean, this song is such a massive hit worldwide. And I agree with you, Tom. It keeps coming back to the charts because of films like The Wedding Singer, I believe, right? Classic. Uh, a classic film there. Uh, and also, you know, unfortunately, Pete Burns, when he died as well, the song returned to the charts. I remember, you know, when I discovered the song in a nightclub in Sao Paulo, I've never heard of it before. And I was like, oh my God, this is magic. And since then, I became a big fan of... Well, without giving away your vintage, so when would that have been then, Faye? Well, approximately. Late 90s, early noughties, something okay. like that. No, early noughties, actually. I'm not okay. that old. Hopefully the date <laughs> was the only naughty thing about it, Fernando. Uh, so remind us, what are we hearing next? It's Dead or Alive, You Spin Me Round Like a Record. Tell you my laugh of me actually, but when I moved to the UK, I remember it kind of made me feel nostalgic because I, I believe Pete Burns was on Celebrity Big Brother, which at the time was quite a big big deal here in the UK. It, it was. He was. That is so good. How is that only number number four? I mean, because there's better stuff actually happening. To be honest, number three, I think not many people perhaps might know then. I mean, perhaps if you're a fan of electropop, you do. But for me, it's special. And I wanted a little bit of variety here, mm -hmm. here. not just the obvious ones. Uh, but this band, again, an electropop band from uh, formed in 1999. I remember that was the age of the electro clash, like an electro movement. And they were one of the best bands. They're still around. I reviewed their album this year. Um, for Monaco actually a magazine but this is one of their biggest hits it's Lady Tron with 17 
Fernando, I'm almost overwhelmed by the sheer power of synth that you're serving up to me. God, I, I'm overwhelmed as well. And can I be honest, I find this song quite melancholic. I mean, they only want you when you're 17. When you're 21, you're no fun. I don't know. It's about the, the oh, aging process. Me. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But this has weirdly become something of a thematic. Nostalgia, oh, the God. quest for lost times. And if, you're, if you want a nostalgia fest, Faye... I mean, number two is going to serve it up by the bucket load. But it's nostalgia tone, but I was looking at the video again. I think it's still so current. And I think the song is brilliant. I mean, the band is brilliant. Uh, and again, they are from Liverpool, I have to add here. It's Frankie Goes to Hollywood. We'll talk about the song, I mean, but it's such an iconic song. And I love that the video is so controversial and cool at the same time, you know, because sometimes it can be controversial, but not cool. And they manage to be both. Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Relax. The debauchery, I love it. I mean, Fernando, that is a stone-cold classic. Even before you've got to the top of the pyramid this week, I'm going to say, in terms of actual legitimate musical quality, by any measure, this is the best global countdown that you've ever devised oh my God. on this program. I'm feeling emotional, Tom, but this song, I mean, what an incredible tune, I have to say. And again, it's the kind of song that never dies. I mean, just look at Zoolander, uh, the <laughs> film as well. I try not to if <laughs> no, I can I mean, Well, actually, Zoolander is quite good. Uh, and again, the BBC banned the song, but actually people were interested because when the song was released, it, it was not like an immediate success. I think mm. it charted at number 67 in the charts, but then slowly the BBC said, oh, we can't play this. Well, it's classic, Fernando. As soon as they made a massive song and dance about it and banned it this was like mary whitehouse era the song it, it never looked it never looked back and that video is still kind of pretty out there which uh, the fact that that ever got broadcast in when was that like 80, 84 83 84 yeah. it's pretty amazing and so you know what if this video is released today i actually think it would cause the same controversy yeah, I don't i, I don't know for you know it's quite strange that right it's not uh, what's the word it hasn't sort of it diminished in terms of impact over time. Love Frankie. We're all emotional. Holly We're Johnson, all... absolute legend. Uh, one of my, I think one of the key post uh, post sixties and early seventies Liverpool musical exponents. Holly Johnson, in my view. I'm so glad, Tom, that you but said who that. Ca- who who came before Faye? Who lit the way for all of these legends that we've been hearing? From? I mean, I have. Even if you don't like, then you have to respect because they are so associated with the city of Liverpool. He, they they needed to be in the top five and they needed to be a number one. Uh, I'm sorry, even if you're not a Beatles fan, but they are, I mean, such an iconic band. I mean, they represent Liverpool, but they represent the United Kingdom, let's be honest. I know, I know a lot of uh, people, they say, oh, I want to visit Liverpool precisely because uh, of the Beatles. And the song I chose, Tom, is a song from 1967. Uh, it's Penny Lane, which is, in fact, a street in Liverpool. And I was reading, uh, Paul McCartney wrote this track. That's where he used to spend his childhood, uh, you know, George Harrison with John Lennon as well. It's a very nostalgic track. Uh, and what, very about, what about Ringo? Don't leave him out. Well, He's still knocking about. <laughs> yeah, Ringo as well. You know, why not? <laughs> Sorry, Ringo. Uh, but let's play a little bit of Penny Lane, a beautiful track by the Beatles. 
Maybe I'll pay a visit to Penny Lane. You should do, Fernando. I want to know from our listeners, did anyone listen to that top five and fail to sing along with at least one? I just don't believe it's possible. Exactly. and it, Maybe it, dance it, along as well, depending on what you're doing. They all, if you're driving, obviously, something like that, obviously. But. They're all global hits. I mean, we're, we're here, we're here being, we're being ultra-specific with the city of Liverpool, but everyone in the world have listened to at least three or four of those tracks. Now, Fernando, let's bring things right up today you've mentioned why we were in liverpool for this special edition and breaking news alert there is more news to do with well the reason why we're why we're in liverpool today exactly the uk uh, launched uh, well released their their entry for eurovision this morning and i think we should play a clip of it and you know what oh my first impression a very good tune and i think the uk is taking very seriously uh, who they send to your vision. I think last year we had you know, uh, the spaceman, right? I mean, he was, the, he was uh, I believe, second uh, just after Ukraine. And I think May Miller, she, I think she will do very well. This, is, this track is called I Wrote a Song. Let's have a listen. I know it depends, doesn't it? Sometimes we, the British public, get to anoint our artists. This was selected. I don't know. So I think they tend to do better. I don't want to diss the public, but they tend to do better when they leave it to the experts. I agree, because the British public chose Scooch, I remember, which, I mean, it was a kind of nul point on Eurovision. I think the song is very efficient. I'm not sure if it's a winner. And it's about cheating as well, which is a big trend. Just look, remember, we're talking about Shakira here. Mm -hmm. So she said, you know, he cheated on me. You know what I did? I wrote a song. Fernando, that was, without a shadow of a doubt, the finest global countdown disagree listeners uh, write to us let us know uh, your favorites Faye. excellent stuff we shall hear from you at the same time next week if not before that is your thursday briefing produced by Paige reynolds researched by monica lillis and our studio manager was callum mcclain my thanks to them all uh, we'll be back at the same time tomorrow noon in london 1300 on cet i am tom edwards that is your thursday edition of the briefing goodbye and thanks for listening